I'm Maggie John, and this is Context Beyond the Headlines, a place for conversations with newsmakers, culture shapers, and peacekeepers, where we explore the intersection between faith, justice, ethics, and society. BC is set to decriminalize small possession of illicit drugs in January 2023. Canada is facing an opioid crisis. And British Columbia has been ground zero for years. In 2021, 2,200 people died from opioid poisoning. It's the highest amount of deaths the province has seen since signs of the crisis first began. And the supply is getting more toxic. Fentanyl was detected in 86% of these deaths. So the government and experts have turned to harm reduction. Overdose prevention sites, prescribing medically graded heroin, and now decriminalization. Is this the answer? And later are so what for the show. Before we go ahead with any show idea, we formulate a so what statement. Essentially, we ask ourselves, why would someone care? Context senior producer Hannah Vanderkoy joins me to discuss why this topic is worth covering. And I, I think um, really when we we look at uh, drug use from the perspective of, of a medical approach, uh, it begins to, to help us to, to shift that and really rehumanize uh, individuals who have been dehumanized due to their drug use. And so I think that's important for, uh, for people of faith to be able to do that, to be able to um, love people for who they are despite what they're, they're currently struggling with. All right, Matt Smedley is the executive director and CEO of Mission Possible, an organization that helps find meaningful employment for people in Vancouver's downtown east side who may face barriers to entering or re-entering the workforce. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. So as someone who works in the downtown east side of Vancouver, you see firsthand the impacts that opioids and fentanyl have had on people. Will decriminalization and just that news that's come out recently make a difference in the opioid crisis, you think? Yeah, I mean, it, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, the the drug poisoning epidemic is really what's been happening. Um, there, there is not a... Um, there's not a safe supply. The drugs are are, are highly contaminated, and uh, individuals who have been using them even for decades, you know, have uh, are are just not able to to tolerate and or even know what they're what they're using. And so, um, it's it's incredibly important to uh, really make this shift because it's a big mental shift. It's it's really shifting it from. You know, drug use is a is a criminalized activity. To drug use is is really a medical issue. Um, there there really is, um, you know, deep underlying reasons why individuals are are using drugs, um, either as self medicating as uh, something they've been dependent on, um, and uh, and everybody's story is different in, in how they they ended up uh, with with that substance use. But um, the reality is, it's not it's not a criminal issue. It really it really is a medical issue, and it centers that. And so I'm really hopeful that um, it it really will help to uh, shift the the conversations to what are the harm reduction approaches that we can take to help people stay alive long enough to be able to to find recovery, to find some healing um, and, uh, you know, reduce their dependency. 
That that might be a very striking statement that you just made to some of our listeners, Matt, to hear you say that drug use is not a criminal issue, but a medical issue. Some might argue that, you know, there might be psychological issues or other things underlying it that results in people depending on drugs to maybe cope or deal with situations, but wouldn't necessarily call it a medical issue. Explain to me why why you would use that term and say it's a medical issue. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not an expert in in uh, uh, you know in drug use um, in in uh, or you know by any means uh, have medical uh, expertise, yeah, but yeah. Um, it it really is uh, you know the the way um, that um, that drugs take hold of people. It, it's a physiological thing, um, uh, no doubt about that. Um, the uh, the underlying issues that that have led to that, you know, are often um, deeply rooted in in trauma, sometimes intergenerational trauma, um, and and those, you know, uh, the the drug use becomes a, a way to cope. Um, it becomes a way to survive. Um, it becomes a way to deal with the pain um, that life has brought. Um, and uh, really, the the criminal uh, aspects of it are are, are often just in uh, around continued use. Uh, people develop dependencies, and you know are not wanting to be dependent, but actually come, going off of drugs is far more painful than staying on them. And so, just uh, looking at it at it through the lens of of how an individual. Uh, just responds physiologically, how they uh, respond uh, mentally and emotionally. Um, it's it, it, it really is um, uh, a lot of times, you know, outside of their their immediate control, and um, they need they need help. They need medical help uh, in order to to detoxify, to be able to uh, reduce their dependencies. Um, you know, someone who's been using for for a long time to to just stop can go through such uh, severe withdrawal symptoms that it, it can lead to their death. Um, mm. And so, uh, when we think about it purely from the the criminal side, that drug use is not legal. Um, pe- some people have have decided that, right? They've decided drug use is not legal, and therefore it's illegal. And therefore, you know, you can put people paint people into a box to say this is criminal activity now. Um, and certainly. You know there is a there's a dark side to to the drug use in that there are um, there are people tainting the supply. There are people who are you know who are predatory toward drug users. Um, but the drug users themselves uh, having possession decriminalized, having um, the ability to not be facing uh, uh, that same level of um, uh, just you know, intensity with, with law enforcement, um, I, I think can really lead to, uh, just a different way of understanding, um, and, uh, can really lead to, uh, opening up the conversations with people for, uh, for healing and, um, bringing things more into the open. Um, I really believe shame is one of the, the biggest contributors to why people, you know, will, will hide away, you know, will use, use drugs in, in secret, will, um, you know, uh, just kind of continue um, to keep it as a very closeted thing in their life, um, and uh, and a lot of that has to do with well, I could I could be you know I could be charged for this. It's it's not legal, um, and therefore it prevents people from being able to actually seek the help that they need. Um, and so um, I don't in any way think that this is the silver bullet that's going to end the drug crisis in the downtown east side, but it certainly is going to alleviate some of the 
the challenges that are added on top of of what people are already experiencing uh, as they you know uh, are, are substance users. And certainly, this has become a drug crisis across our country, not just on the downtown east side. What does decriminalization tell society about how we view drugs? You think, Matt? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I'm hopeful at least that it really sends the message that um, you know we for decades this this drug war has been kind of going on both in, in the U.S. and in Canada, and they've taken a really hard. Uh, approach to criminalizing it. And, you know, what have we seen out of that? Well, just in the last, you know, uh, few years, we've seen over 10,000 people die from from tainted drug supply. Um, And, uh, you know, it's it's really been devastating for this community. It's been devastating for uh, so many of my friends who I I get to work alongside of here. And um, I, I think that I would hope it shifts the conversation nationally to um, what doctors have many, many doctors have been calling for. Um, certainly many drug uh, advocates have been calling for that uh, we need to we need to talk about this issue for what it is, um, that it, it really is a medical issue. Um, and I hope it begins to shift that that public opinion conversation. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think there's. Um, in the in the faith community, um, I really think that drug use is often uh, people will often see things in in kind of a very dualistic way. It's either it's good or it's evil, um, and therefore drug use is is an evil thing. And because it it does it takes a toll on people. It it can lead to relationships being ruined, jobs being lost, you know, health being deteriorated, uh, all all kinds of things like that. And so uh, when we see um, when we see it get categorized that way, it can be hard for, you know, people of faith to say, oh, you know, that that's really just someone who's struggling with a, a medical issue because they, they think of it as, oh, they're, you know, this is some sort of uh, spiritual battle that's going on. And, you know, we, we've got uh, people who are, are, are addicted to drugs and, you know, are kind of on the dark side, if you will, um, when, when in reality, um, I, I think that's that's not true at all, and I, I think um, really when we we look at uh, drug use from the perspective of of a medical approach, uh, it begins to to help us to to shift that and really rehumanize uh, individuals who have been dehumanized due to their drug use. Mm. And so I think that's important for uh, for people of faith to be able to do that, to be able to. Um, love people for who they are, despite what they're, they're currently struggling with. And, and obviously, Matt, you're talking about people who are in the throes of addiction. What does it say mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the issue of decriminalization? What does it say to the 15-year-old, 16-year-old who now sees this and is curious and says, hey, you know, a small amount of X, whatever drug of your choice mm-hmm. is now being decriminalized, um, and would actually try opioids. You know, we hear of a lot of overdoses happening with younger men, specifically white men, we'll mm-hmm. say in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. So what does that say to a, a younger population who are who are not presently in the throes of addiction, but might now be curious about exploring drugs because of the decriminalization factor? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting uh, thought. Um, as a as a father of two teenage boys, mm. um, I I can only speak from my experience, but I will say that um, 
having it be a criminalized thing would would not actually make a difference for them of whether they would decide to use it or not. Um, it's already readily available on the street. Um, they they could get it whether or not it was criminalized. Um, and that I think that's the reality. It's I don't I don't know that uh, you know young people are thinking well now that it's not criminalized if I ha- only have under two point five grams, mm. uh, you know I'm it's it's fine. Um, I think they they recognize this is still a very dangerous substance. Um, but what I think it does is you know if someone you know some young person does decide to use which lots lots of young people do, it doesn't also add on the fact that they're going to you know. They're going to be caught up in the criminal justice system now, and they're going to be, um, you know, have a have a criminal record. You know, they're going to be um, kind of, uh, you know, potentially pulled into to some, you know, more criminal activity because of um, that that charge, you know, for possession, which um, this is really all it is, is just we're, we're not going to charge people for possession for personal use anymore. And so it can actually save a number of young people from entering the the criminal justice system because I don't like I said I don't think making it illegal is is actually what's you know making them decide whether or not to to use or or experiment with drugs. Mm. Decriminalization is just the latest harm reduction strategy that we've seen the government focus on in the last number of years. Is the goal to keep someone alive or to actually address the addiction? Well certainly you can't address an addiction if someone's not alive. And so there has to be a, a, a multi-pronged, multifaceted approach, but harm reduction has to be there. It has to be part of it. Um, I know for a lot of people that's that's challenging. I mean, it, it means um, you know you're you're supplying people with uh, clean uh, clean pipes, with you know uh, needles, things like that. And and a lot of people's minds, oh, that's that's enabling them. That's that's helping them to use the substance when. The reality is they're they're using the substance, and so what you're doing is is caring for them in that you're actually helping to keep them from getting additional diseases, keeping them, uh, you know, from uh, from sharing those uh, disease they may have with someone else, and um, in that there's there's further harm reduction, um, and uh, there's also ways to connect with people, and so when people you know uh, have uh, places like um, you know that are, are providing. Uh, safe supply, um, they uh, or, or not safe supply. Sorry, harm reduction uh, um, uh, needles and things like that. Um, there's there's a place of connection, right? And there's a there's a place of um, relationships developing. Um, and one of the strongest uh, things, at least you know, in this community, and I think probably across the world, one of the the biggest drivers of continued drug use and uh, a sense of hopelessness is is the isolation that people experience. Um, and a lot of that comes from the the shame and the stigma that they feel as a drug user that society has put on them. Um, and when we can begin to uh, have have people, you know, see people for who they are, see the the humanity in them, be able to to build those relationships, be able to to foster that and and have a, a stronger sense of connection, that can really lead to people feeling, a renewed sense of of worth and dignity um, that can actually propel people toward a desire to um, look after their own health, to reduce their dependency, to um, you know uh, take hold of their lives in a in a way that they they wouldn't otherwise do. And so, um, I think there's there's uh, not just one value in harm reduction. There's there's multiple. 
Yeah, I, I was just going to say, echo that. I think there's a multi-pronged approach and not everything works for everyone. You know, we did a, a special uh, earlier this year on our television show on uh, the opioid crisis in our country, spoke to one young man who's been clean for a couple of years who said that he would go to these harm reduction sites and grab a number of needles and and actually sell them uh, on the streets. So what actually caused him to want to be clean was being in a recovery program where it was more focused on relationship than it was about, you know, getting clean needles. And mm-hmm. so obviously, you know, it looks different to everybody and everybody has a different journey. Are, are there enough resources being put into detox and recovery bed programs, you think, in our country, Matt? No, there's not. Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, and and I hear that on a regular basis. Um, you know, there's there's not enough beds, and those beds really have to be available when people decide they they want to move into them, um, because it takes, uh, you know, it, it it takes time to detox. Um, you have to be medically supervised, and if that window passes and somebody's in too much pain, um, they're gonna you know, they're going to go out and continue using and, um, they, uh, yeah, it, it's really critical to have beds available when people are ready. And, uh, we just don't have enough in this province. It and, sounds like more investment in a long-term process as opposed to a quick solution is needed. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is the opioid crisis a problem you think the government can solve? Oh, that's a big question. I mean, there, yeah, I, I think if there is enough political will, it absolutely we could solve it. Um, it will take some really uh, bold measures uh, in order to to make it happen. Um, it will it will require us uh, thinking differently, uh, making sure that we do address it as a medical issue and also looking at at how we can support people um, who are active users and, and providing safe supply. Um, that's a, another critical piece of it. Um, also, recovery programs, those who um, are, are wanting to uh, reduce their dependency, that, that those um, investments are there to make sure that we do have enough beds and we have enough um, you know, skilled, skilled people to support them through the recovery process. Um, and one of the big pieces uh, for this as well is, is what I do in, in my organization at Mission Possible. Uh, we are, are helping people reconnect with employment. Um, and a lot of times folks have been out of, out of work for, uh, for years um, and a lot of times have had a history of, of substance use. And, um, and that really sets them back. Um, you know, periods of unemployment um, and mental health challenges, it, it makes employers really hesitant to, to offer opportunities. And so um, for us, what we're trying to do is, is offer training and coaching to individuals who are ready to move back into work. And then we give them work experience. And, and then we're trying to connect them with employers outside of our organization. And, and that's, a, that's a hard part. Um, and part of it is really changing the narrative um, and making sure that employers know, you know, just because someone has had, a, uh, you know, challenges and, and has struggled with substance use, that that does not mean they're not going to make a great employee. And um, uh, a lot of folks are maybe on disability and things like that, but they, they still have skills and abilities and, and a strong desire to work. It really takes the right opportunity and the right person who's willing to give that to them. Mm. Um, and then you see what you, you had mentioned, you know, that, that people really get um, connected with, uh, you know, when, when they're working together, they, they, 
these relationships start to to build and and really um, uh, really leads to people experiencing a sense of belonging. Um, it's they begin to value themselves. Um, they begin to have confidence again in who they are and and recognize they you know they aren't. Um, they aren't necessarily the things that people have been telling them that they are because they were uh, someone who used drugs. Um, and they begin to shed some of that stigma. Um, and, um, and that really comes through those, those connections. Um, and so uh, employment really is an incredibly important factor in, uh, in helping people become stabilized, um, become, it, it really leads to having structure in, in people's lives that, um, helps to, prolong uh, recovery and and help to to deepen a desire to to maintain recovery and so um, it's a really critical part of of um, the reduction of of drug use and um, really ending the the epidemic of opioid deaths how can the church play a role also in in that process of ending this opioid epidemic and crisis I think really the, the church has to be ready to uh, think differently uh, about this. Um, I, I think for a lot of people that I've talked to, um, you know, there, there really is the kind of the black and white, you know, it's drug use is evil. Drug use is sinful. Um, and, uh, and people are not really, uh, open to, or, or, um, willing to discuss the factors that lead to that and, and why, you know, why are people using drugs? Why are they self-medicating? Why are they, you know, what has led to this? And, and oftentimes it is, you know, it, it, it's the trauma, it's the isolation, um, you know, a whole host of things that, that, uh, uh, of experiences that have led people to where they are. And so, um, for the church to be able to respond, you know, I, I think it really does, does take, um, a shift to be able to think about this, not as a, you know, a sin issue, um, essentially as a sin issue that, uh, to really think about this is, this is a medical issue. Um, and, and this is a, a way that people have been coping with that, that challenge. And what we need to do is, is also want to see healing for them in, in their life, you know, physically, um, uh, mentally, emotionally, that, that we want to see that happen. And the only way we can do that is if we see their humanity rather than to see them as a, as an addict or, or just as a drug user. Um, and so, uh, that's, that's just a really important factor. And, um, I, to, to also recognize, you know, there, there are, um, things that may, we may be really uncomfortable with that are, that are required in order to make, make this happen. So, um, you know, harm reduction supplies and being able to, to give those out, to be able to, um, recognize that, that this is a life-saving, uh, uh, activity that, that is required, um, it can make people really uncomfortable if they don't recognize, um, the value in it, that, um, if we, if we aren't doing this, then we're going to have, um, you know, a lot more people who are going to pass away, who are going to, um, you know, be, be incredibly ill. Um, and we need to change the way that we think about it so that we are really looking at after people's best interest and, and recognize, this has to be a, a part of it. And what, even if we're uncomfortable uh, with that, we, we want to, um, know that there's value in this, that this is, this is saving lives. Um, and the data is there to show that. And, um, and so we need to be willing to, to do that and, and recognize it's, it's a part of a, a larger strategy to, to see people move toward health. All right. Thanks again, Matt, for your time today. 
Yeah, you're very welcome. All right, this is time for our so what, an opportunity to talk about why we delved into this topic of opioid addiction and this crisis that is reeling across our country. I'm joined by senior producer Hannah Vanderkoy. Hey, Hannah. Hey. So this is part two. We sat down with Matt Smedley, who works intimately with people in the downtown east side. Why was it important that we hear from Matt? Yeah, when we uh, first, er, earlier this year in March, we did a special on opioids. And we heard time and time again, decriminalization is not the answer, but it is an important part of this whole crisis. Um, but that was from that was from like expert experts. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to hear from someone who's working intimately with people struggling with addiction to see will this actually help? Yeah. And he said yes. Yeah, and for the most part, people that we've spoken to on the front lines, especially in BC, have said that this would help. We spoke to somebody else as well in preparation. Uh, for this discussion. Um, I am still really puzzled by my conversation with Matt and his use of the term medical, uh, the medical needs, and and this is a medical issue. Um, What were your thoughts as you were listening in? Yeah, I guess I I wonder if I'm just misunderstanding something because it Mm. seems like it's medical because of the addiction. And so it's this cycle. Yeah. So you talked last time in the last episode about a holistic approach yeah. and this doesn't seem holistic. This seems like it's just targeting, um, I guess really the effects of, um, of opioids on a user, mm-hmm. on someone who is addicted to them and where it does become medical because they need to continue using. Otherwise it could get quite dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just struggled with it. We had, you know, we had a great conversation with Matt after after we finished our interview, um, just about that topic. And I guess I'm, I'm just struggling with using that terminology because when I think of medical, I think of, you know, you're pregnant, Hannah. That's a medical situation. I think about, you know, we were just talking about my eye situation. That's a medical situation. So, but I do understand that, yes, um, we are talking about drugs. We are talking about an addiction. And maybe if we were looking at it from the perspective of, um, or maybe if I was looking at, at it from the perspective of being addicted to painkillers, maybe I would see it as medical. But I, I guess in the back of my head, and it's something that I think we, as we're processing this real-life um, pandemic, really, there's another pandemic in our country, is the fact that while people have made the choice to take drugs, there are a lot of underlying things that are bringing this to the surface, right? And so people are dealing with a lot of trauma, and as Matt had said, which can then turn into a medical issue. And maybe I just need to get off the whole medical thing and just realize that this is, yeah, like how do we solve this problem, period? Yeah, and I, I have to admit I also struggle with just decriminalization as a whole. Yeah. Because I, but I have to say, when we listen to people like Matt, to some of the experts that we had on our show, I think of Dr. Yearling, Mm -hmm. um, who first sounded the alarm on the opioid crisis. Like, I think it's important to listen to them and not to completely dismiss what they're saying because it maybe doesn't fit into our worldview because we don't understand what's happening. Yeah. Do you not wonder though, like, I do question, you know, and this is from just a Christian perspective. Like, where our country is going. And not to make this political, um, 
But, you know, we, we've talked about prostitution and the prostitution law is changing. We've talked about now the opioid crisis and now decriminalization of, of certain hard drugs, illicit drugs. Um, you know, we talk about made medical assistance in dying and allowing people to choose when they want to die. Um, we've talked about the abortion issue and the leniency of that in our country, the fact that we don't have laws about that. Do you wonder as a Christian, like, where are our morals and stan- standards when it comes to these things? Mm-hmm, definitely. It's autonomy over everything. And yeah. that came up in our maid episode. Yeah. Um, and it's just, we don't want to put any limits, it seems. I mean, there are limits, but, but it, it just seems to be edging more yeah. and more and more. Yeah. And you just wonder where else, you know, we've talked in, uh, about this. I have a teenager and a preteen at home, two boys, and kids are impressionable. And I just wonder, even though, you know, I mentioned it to Matt, and he said, well, you know, you continue to have conversations with your kids. But I have heard stories of kids, you know, experimenting with drugs at a party. Mm-hmm. My son was just telling me about bush parties the other day. I was like, what's that? Oh, no. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, no, what's going on? And, uh, and yeah, I do, even though you do have those conversations with your kids, for some people, that is the way that they get into this world of drugs and can't get out. And uh, it's a scary reality that we have to deal with. Absolutely. I also, and it, maybe this is just something I'm missing, but I don't really see how decriminalization will solve the fentanyl problem, yeah. which is really at the heart of, of a lot of these deaths. Yeah. You even said in the intro, 86% of overdose deaths are because of fentanyl. Um, I still see the supply being toxic, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just worry, as you said, what does this mean? Can people get their hands on it a little bit easier? Mm-hmm. Do they think, oh, it's not that bad because it's decriminal- decriminalized? I know that that was kind of the mindset around cannabis for a yeah. while in Canada, right? Yeah. So are we? Is it is it going to evolve into something like that? Yeah, and will they admit if it doesn't work out? To your point, if fentanyl continues to kill millions of people. Will somebody admit that, wait a minute, maybe decriminalization is not the best solution? And BC uh, does have a limit. Yeah. It is. So this is a test. Yes. But to your point, will they admit? Yeah. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks for listening to Context Beyond the Headlines podcast. And thanks to Matt Smedley, our guest today, for sharing his perspective. You can find out more about Mission Possible at mission-possible.ca. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, you may need to hear these words. You are worth it. You are worth the fight. Jesus loves you and the people in your life love you too. They want to see you healthy and whole. There are resources out there to help you through this and you can find more information at crossroads.ca slash opioid crisis. And we will link this information in our episode description for easy access. Context Beyond the Headlines is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications. It is executive produced by Melissa McEachran, produced by Hannah Vanderkoy, edited by Kyle Smistra, and hosted by me, Maggie John. <laughs>